I love a good told you so. Don't I? Isn't that my brand? Lay out the advanced metrics that predict performance throughout March, April, May, June, and then spend the actual football season celebrating all the players that hit and ignoring all the wrong calls. I mean, that's my brand. But if you want to bring me into your celebration, string me up as your pinata while you dance around one good week from a player you touted all offseason, well, that's where I draw the line. This from Mike Taglier on Twitter, at Mike Taglier NFL. But, but, but Calvin Ridley didn't have good measurables. Ha ha ha! That was funny. He's out here showing off. Look at Calvin Ridley out here showing off. Measurables, schmeasurables. You go, Calvin. And you show those analytics goons. And measurables don't matter. That's right. <laughs> you know, Mike, you can just add my Twitter handle to the tweet. I know Mike Taglier is talking to me because we talked about it on the show. We ended the Calvin Ridley conversation with a we'll see. But Calvin Ridley was not overrated because of measurables. This happens every single season. Measurables get confused with metrics. I mean, as long as Kristen Michael is in the league, workout metrics will be conflated with analytics. Oh, I thought Kristen Michael had great metrics. No, he didn't. His dominator rating revealed that he's not a good football player. Regardless of his level of athleticism, he did not meet a threshold for production at the college level. He never established himself as a workhorse through four years at Texas A&M. That's why Kristen Michael was one of the great overdrafted running backs in the history of the NFL, regardless of his athleticism. It doesn't matter how athleticism, if he can't ever be productive. And that has been the issue with Calvin Ridley. He did not have the age-adjusted college dominance of some other wide receivers in this draft class. That's why we preferred Christian Kirk, Cortland Sutton, and DJ Moore to Calvin Ridley. My position has been, and it remains so, that if Calvin Ridley went to UCF and Traquan Smith went to Alabama, that it would have been Traquan Smith drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in the first round. It would have been Calvin Ridley going to New Orleans in the third round. It would have been Traquan Smith seeing the field in week three against the most burnable cornerback in the league this season, P.J. Williams, and it would have been Calvin Ridley scrapping for snaps in New Orleans behind Ted Ginn, Austin Carr, and Cameron Meredith. Why? Because draft capital. At that point, Calvin Ridley would have been underrated. But that's not what happened. Calvin Ridley went to Alabama, and every Alabama player is necessarily overrated because of the focus that the scouting industrial complex trains on that Alabama program. It is the only program in college football for which NFL teams assign a singular scout. Most scouts have a region with the exception of Alabama. Some NFL scouts are only responsible for Alabama and that is it. And so it's just confirmation bias on top of confirmation bias with the vast majority of Alabama prospects. And some of them hit. Certainly, Marlon Humphrey is hitting. That 2017 cornerback class is hitting. Tredavious White is one of the top cornerbacks in the league. And you can put Marlon Humphrey in that conversation as well. Go to playerprofiler.com, click on the seasonal rankings, and you can see the tab where we rank cornerbacks and see for yourself. The year to draft cornerbacks was 2017. 
and there were quality Alabama players in that draft. O.J. Howard and Marlon Humphrey, the two best. And Calvin Ridley is a quality player. In his first season as a college receiver, his true freshman season, he was 20 at the time, but it was still his true freshman season, over 1,000 receiving yards. That's hard to do. And in this 2018 draft class, the only other receiver to do that was Christian Kirk. So Calvin Ridley's good, but he could still be overrated, and he's still overrated after scoring three touchdowns against a beleaguered and diminished New Orleans Saints secondary. Calvin Ridley now has as many touchdowns as Julio Jones scored all last season. And for anyone who tracks expected touchdowns, that is mind-bending and not something anyone should be overreacting to. Calvin Ridley didn't even lead rookie wide receivers in targets in week three. That was Antonio Callaway with 10. And he didn't even have the most impressive week for a number two receiver. Because I would argue that was Tyler Boyd. Because it's one thing to reel in seven receptions for almost 150 yards and three touchdowns against some combination of PJ Williams and Ken Crawley, who are giving up as many fantasy, who are giving up more fantasy points than any other second and third cornerback duo in the NFL this season. It was a great performance by Calvin Ridley, but in context, not enough reason to run back and forth across your lawn waving a flag with Calvin Ridley's face on it and giving the analytics community the middle finger. I'm just not ready to concede Calvin Ridley's the best wide receiver in this class, that he deserved to be drafted in the first round. I'm not ready. I need to see more games. And what is Mike Taglier doing? What is the point touting Calvin Ridley? He was already a first-round pick. He was already the number one ranked wide receiver by most scouting services for a year leading up to the NFL draft. I mean, what is the point of touting that player? That is a company man tout. That's like cheering a plane that lands successfully at an airport. Like Mike Taglier is out there on the runway. Yes! Yes, it landed! Wow! Amazing! Look at it! fell out of the sky and, and just glided smoothly to a stop and everyone on board is safe. That never happens. It's crazy. That wide receiver that every scout fell in love with scored some touchdowns in the NFL level. Wow. <laughs> it's much more fun to be a truther, to believe in a receiver like Tyler Boyd, who everyone lost faith in. And yet on this program, we said Tyler Boyd is the most underrated slot receiver in the league. And what did Tyler Boyd do? He had a better week in week three than even Calvin Ridley because Tyler Boyd posted 132 yards on one less target against a quality secondary. That's the difference. To go to Carolina and post similar receptions and yards as Calvin Ridley is even more impressive. Context matters. Do it against a quality defense. And then I'll be impressed. It's not a lot to ask. I just asked for one game to produce wide receiver one points against a quality secondary. The great receivers are able to do that. Tyler Boyd looks great. And we knew Tyler Boyd would be great because Tyler Boyd exists in the intersection of precociousness and dominance at the college level, which is the most predictive 
attribute of a wide receiver prospect, age-adjusted college dominance. But this isn't the first week that Tyler Boyd has produced top 25 wide receiver numbers, so he's likely not available on waiver wires. He was picked up after week two, six for 91 and a touchdown performance against a quality Baltimore secondary. That's two straight top 20 performances from Tyler Boyd against quality secondaries. Much more impressive than the last two weeks from Calvin Ridley, the guy everyone expected to produce versus the guy no one expected to produce. I'll take the guy no one expected. That's my preferred tout because I'm not a company man. And on the show today, we will be talking to Sean Siegel, a fellow Tyler Boyd truther, and we will relive all the trades that we executed this offseason where we received Tyler Boyd as a throw-in. Calvin Ridley, not a throw-in. But when you look at his age-adjusted college dominance in context, it's more impressive than the breakout age suggests because he got a late start in college. Life intervened on Calvin Ridley, but the moment he stepped foot on a college campus, he was a starter and he was dominant. And that matters. And at no point was the number one cause for concern Calvin Ridley would not return first-round draft capital, his measurables. But it's okay if you didn't play Tyler Boyd in DFS last week. He was only $3,100 on DraftKings, but it's okay. You're much better off demanding a player prove it for multiple weeks against challenging matchups than to jump on that player after a single week finishing in the top 20. It's okay to let Tyler Boyd's price adjust on DFS platforms. FOMO, fear of missing out. You should not fear missing out on a player with one big week on his resume. As much as I believe in Tyler Boyd's ability, I was not playing him in DFS last week, so don't feel bad. And another player that we've loved who was discarded by Dynasty Leaguers the moment the San Francisco 49ers acquired Jarek McKinnon was Matt Breida. Matt Breida, another young electric player that could be acquired in Dynasty Leagues as a throw-in. And now we see another Matt Breida trade window opening as Jimmy Garoppolo goes down in step C.J. Beathard. This can't be a good thing for their offense. It's certainly not good for Marquise Goodwin. Uh, How about Marquise Goodwin? Not good. Not good for Goodwin. Not good for Pierre Garçon, although it's clear Pierre Garçon was washed even with Jimmy Garoppolo. So Pierre Garçon will go from one catch with Jimmy Garoppolo to .5 catches a week with C.J. Beathard. I think that George Kittle is flat. C.J. Beathard likes to keep the ball in and around the line of scrimmage. So George Kittle's targets may increase, but the accuracy of those targets will decrease and there will be less red zone visits. So I think it'll be a wash. The increased targets will be balanced out by less scoring opportunities for George Kittle. But for Matt Breida, I think it's wheels up at an even higher altitude. And here's why. C.J. Beathard wants to feed the running back, and Kyle Shanahan wants to feed the running back. So we have this confluence of forces where, as we saw last season, Carlos Hyde's target share is top 10 among NFL running backs for Carlos Hyde. If you have a between-the-tackles grinder like Carlos Hyde, who is a weak receiver, and you're going to feed him a top 10 target share anyway, what happens when you elevate Matt Breida? And he becomes the guy in the game in passing situations. He becomes the guy that's in the game in the hurry-up offense. He becomes a guy that's rotating with Alfred Morris. So if Matt Breida is dominating the snap share, that means his target share will necessarily rise. And fortunately, 
after failing to convert an inordinate number of his targets last season, finishing last among qualified running backs in catch rate on playerprofiler.com, Matt Breida's catch rate is now back up close to 80%, and he's top 20 among NFL running backs. I think that his low catch rate last year was an anomaly, and that he will be efficient in the face of huge pass volume. And the way that you can be productive as a running back with C.J. Beathard at quarterback is to catch the ball out in space. That way you can break long runs, and you can soak up receptions and be relevant each and every week in PPR leagues. But for all these receivers on San Francisco, not just Garcon and Goodwin, but also Dante Pettis, Trent Taylor. It's a disaster. I have Trent Taylor everywhere in Dynasty. It's heartbreaking. I was holding on to hope. I was a Trent Taylor truther, and my faith is wavering. I thought he could be that volume slot receiver for Jimmy Garoppolo. No. But we are seeing some wide receiver twos step up around the league. First and foremost, Christian Kirk. His week two, his week three, was almost as impressive as Calvin Ridley's. I'm not going to say it was as impressive. Now, I'm not crazy. I'm not going to strip all the credit away from Calvin Ridley, even though he put up video game numbers in a video game shootout against a secondary set on the rookie level of the video game. But he does deserve credit. Not every wide receiver can go out against the worst cornerbacks in the league and catch seven for eight for close to 150 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, it was a great week. By far and away, the number one week in fantasy football, right? I mean, you play Calvin Ridley, you win. You play Calvin Ridley in a DFS GPP, you win a million dollars or $475,000 after taxes. But I'm excited for Christian Kirk because Christian Kirk has a more impressive prospect profile than even Calvin Ridley. And this is the year of the wide receiver two in fantasy football. And Christian Kirk best fits the profile of a breakout rookie number two receiver. As a true freshman at Texas A&M, he posted 80 receptions for over 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns. And like Tyreek Hill, and like Tyler Lockett, and like Tyler Boyd before him, like the Tylers, Kirk demonstrated excellent spatial awareness by excelling in special teams. He scored a mind-bending six punt return touchdowns before entering the NFL draft at 21 years old. So three seasons in college, two punt return touchdowns every season. That's what Christian Kirk averaged. Excelling in special teams helps to demonstrate that je ne sais quoi factor that we love from our wide receivers. Just a spatial awareness on the football field that you can't teach. That's what we love about Antonio Brown, who also excelled in the special teams department in college. And that's Christian Kirk. High dominator, early breakout age, sub four or five wheels. Who does that sound like? Oh, it sounds like Stephon Diggs, who also broke out in his rookie year in Minnesota. Oh, and Christian Kirk commanded the same number of targets as Calvin Ridley in week three. And that's not a surprise. Josh Rosen knows what he has in Christian Kirk. And he targeted Kirk eight times more than Larry Fitzgerald and David Johnson combined last week. So if he is on the waiver wire, Put in a number one waiver claim. If you use fab bidding, bid at least 25% of your remaining budget on Christian Kirk. Antonio Callaway's in some ways even more exciting because he's tethered to Baker Mayfield. Look at the routes run for Antonio Callaway the last three weeks. When Josh Gordon played in week one, seven routes. Then in week two, 27 routes. Then in week three, 36 routes. And there are the targets jumping. One, four, ten targets. 
Now, he's not catching the targets. That's where Antonio Callaway and Calvin Ridley diverge significantly. Calvin Ridley's converting the targets, not so much with Antonio Callaway, but we love the target share. It's just Jarvis Landry and Antonio Callaway out there. The third receiver is Rashard Higgins. Not good. So Antonio Callaway will be more productive as a rookie than even DJ Moore. More productive than Cortland Sutton. More productive than James Washington because of the situation that he's in. He also, like Christian Kirk, has the early breakout age and the speed. Are you fast? Were you dominant at an early age? And did you excel in special teams? Again, Christian Kirk, Antonio Callaway, check, check. Now, the the under-the-radar number two receiver that I'm stashing in all formats, even shallower leagues, is Cameron Meredith. Look at the routes run for Cameron Meredith last week. 28 routes... After not playing in weeks one and two, he had to rehabilitate two reconstructed knee ligaments, the ACL and the MCL. It's a separate surgery. They go in, they repair the MCL. You rehabilitate it, strengthen it. Then they go in and repair the ACL. And then you rehabilitate that and strengthen that. That's why it's such an elongated recovery process when you tear both ligaments. It makes sense that Cameron Meredith needed all 12 months to fully recover and now he's recovered and he's out there gaining confidence in that knee and building rapport with Drew Brees. It's similar to Allen Robinson in Chicago. Allen Robinson misses all of preseason and training camp, can't build that rapport with Mitchell Trubisky, but the target share is there and you know that the production will follow suit as the season progresses and I think that Cameron Meredith's production is only going to increase because Drew Brees finally has that big slot option for the first time since Marquise Colston. And the idea that Josh Rosen will sustain two fantasy-relevant wide receivers in addition to David Johnson, it seems like a stretch. It also seems like a stretch that Baker Mayfield could sustain fantasy-relevant numbers for Antonio Callaway in addition to Jarvis Landry and David Njoku, and we're hoping at some point targeting Duke Johnson. But it's not a stretch to imagine Drew Brees supporting another receiver in this passing game. Michael Thomas has 38 receptions through three weeks. That's the most through three weeks in the history of the NFL. At some point, defenses are going to start bracketing Michael Thomas. And when they do, the beneficiary will be Cameron Meredith in the slot. And Bruce Ellington just went on the IR in Houston. The name to know in Houston is Vincent Smith. I wish he had an E at the end of Vincent. Vincente Smith. I want to call him Vincente Smith because it's V-Y-N. (laughs) C-I-N-T. So tricky. But if you were ever to draft a wide receiver in Dynasty or stash a wide receiver on athleticism alone, it is Vincent Smith because his best comparable is Kenny Bell. Kenny Bell is the poster child for athleticism without college production. Kenny Bell is the wide receiver version of Kristen Michael. But Vincent Smith, unlike Kenny Bell, won a roster spot and has been working his way up the depth chart. He's been establishing trust with Deshaun Watson and the coaching staff. And look at the snap share last week. It jumped to 62% and he ran 22 routes. Now, the target share is consolidated in Houston. I know that. Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, but Vincent Smith's the number three receiver in Houston. Vincent Smith is the number three wide receiver nobody knows, that nobody knows about. And that's a prolific offense. If you think about the offenses around the league that could conceivably sustain consistent fantasy production for their number three wide receiver, it would have to be an offense that does not have a tight end of consequence or a running back 
that catches passes out of the backfield. Well, we know that Lamar Miller is a fake bell cow, and he's a fake bell cow because he can't run routes and he can't catch the ball. And DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller can't catch every pass. Defenses will eventually figure this out, and at some point, Vincent Smith will break out. And if you are going to place a prop bet, that's where I would place it. The reception's over under on Vincent Smith in week four. That's your podfather whisper of the week. Bet on Vincent Smith on my bookie. Because when you type in V-Y-N-C-I-N-T space S-M-I-T-H on playerprofiler.com, on the right, you'll see Vincent Smith props on my bookie. Just click on the my bookie icon and look up the props on Vincent Smith. This sounds like a new segment. The Podfather's Whisper Picks. Because it's gambling and it's taboo. Except gambling's not taboo anymore. You knew it wasn't taboo when Player Profiler partnered with my bookie. The place I go to place my prop bets. And this week, it's Vincent Smith. Now let's go talk to my good friend Sean Siegel from Rotoviz, one of fantasy football's true OGs. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Rotoviz's own Sean Siegel, friend of the program, the originator of Zero RB, and someone we're always checking in on during the season to see how those Zero RB teams are doing. But also the young players, the prospects, because Sean is not only a whiz in seasonal leagues, he's also a whiz in Dynasty. Sean Siegel, talk to me. Well, this this season is exciting, right? You have uh, the quarterbacks bouncing back. You've got the wide receivers bouncing back. Uh, basically, everything is about the passing game. We have these uh, exciting runners, but they're runners who can catch. Uh, Alvin Kamara may end up being the best running back and the best wide receiver in the NFL. So if you're not catching the ball, you're not contributing to fantasy teams for the most part, which which I think is fun. And, and that's led to more real-life scoring and more shootouts. So uh, if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan like I am, you're getting to see your team score points. Uh, you've got a bad defense, so they have to keep scoring points. It, it's been a fun season. I'm looking forward to more. You're a Chiefs fan. Congratulations, Mr. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, they, they and I mean, Mahomes is, is the guy, right? I mean, he, he's got everything you could possibly want. He's like a mismatch of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen. Obviously, he's got a long way to go to accomplish the greatest things, but then the Chiefs decided in the offseason. He's also the All-American quarterback in that he represents multiple ethnicities. He is America. Patrick Mahomes is America. Have you heard my Patrick Mahomes impression? Well, let's hear it. Uh, geez, uh, yeah, I, I can't believe I uh, missed Tyree Kill Deep there. Uh, I can't believe it. It's normally impossible to miss Tyree Kill Deep, but I, uh, you know, I, I, I missed him deep, and I don't know how it happened. Man, Tyreek, he needs to jump up, not let Richard Sherman get his hand in there. It's like uh, that pass, that's a 50-yard pass. It's like a handoff. Yeah, it's a 50-yard handoff to Tyreek Hill. And Patrick Mahomes on the Roto Underworld Radio, who we just heard 20 seconds ago, was referring to the overthrow on what would have been a 99-yard touchdown. Imagine if they had connected on the 99-yard touchdown as well. We were this close. He, he, he's the best. And this is this is the most fun team in the NFL right now, the most fun team to root for. Uh, it's it's awesome if you grew up in Kansas City. I mean, beyond Mahomes, the Chiefs have surrounded him with the best personnel in football. Their offensive line is just solid. But, I mean, you've got 
Hill, but I mean, Sammy Watkins looks like he's back. Uh, Travis Kelsey, you know, probably right there with Gronkowski as the best uh, tight end in the NFL. I mean, how many of the great quarterbacks have had that kind of personnel around them and also a terrible defense? So where they can go out and, you know, it's got to be 40 points a game. Well, last week was weird, but even in a weird week where the Buffalo Bills beat the Minnesota Vikings 27-6, the one constant was Kansas City scoring more than 35 points, right? Kansas City 38, San Francisco 27 in one blowout. In another, New Orleans 43, Atlanta 37. This is what I'm talking about. The bottom line is the NFL is back. Even in a weird week, the NFL is back. And football is better off with these less vicious defenses, which offers receivers more room to operate, quarterbacks more time to throw, and more scoring. Everybody wins when there's more scoring. There's more interest in the game. Subscribers are up. Ticket sales are up. Everything is up across the board. But in the case of Patrick Mahomes... 13 passing touchdowns. That is the most by any quarterback through the first three weeks of a season. He also illustrates how valuable supporting casts are to quarterback play. In your opinion, how important is the supporting cast? Just on a scale of 1 to 10 to quarterback production. I think I would give it an 8. But at the same time, these top guys, the the thing that made me the most excited, I think, for Mahomes coming into this season is that he went out in week 17 against a good Denver defense that didn't want to be embarrassed, even though they didn't have a lot on the line. And the Chiefs benched all their decent players. And he moved the ball up and down the field with the scrubs. You know, I mean, this is a guy who the talent level is just is, is just off the charts. I was saying during this I did do that. I did. I remember. I did that with scrubs. You're right. And, you know, you you look at his ADP and, you know, it was out of whack with some of the other things we were seeing. But it's not just that it was out of whack. If you look at where the pieces, the rest of the pieces of that passing game were going in drafts, then you have to start to think to yourself, well, Mahomes should be taken in the first couple of quarterbacks. But also he could have one of these seasons like a a Peyton Manning – Tom Brady record-breaking kind of season and that's that's with only one game under his belt but you look at where those people were drafted and and perhaps you know you say well Hill's overdrafted Kelsey's overdrafted Watkins is overdrafted they're going to cannibalize each other to an extent but that's not what it looks like so far it looks like history is is in the making yeah when we're running projections on a weekly basis we're simply adding up the production of the running backs receivers and tight ends in the passing game and that's the fantasy points that you can expect from the quarterback that week, well, you can do that on a season level as well. And that's why Patrick Mahomes was clearly undervalued in fantasy drafts. The only thing he doesn't really offer is the mobility. That's why you could argue that a Cam Newton or a Russell Wilson should be drafted ahead of him. But after that, it was all about Patrick Mahomes. Even with only one game on his resume, we saw what the supporting cast could do for Alex Smith, how he could be elevated to top five fantasy quarterback because he has these model breaking pieces in the passing game Tyree Kill is the next Deshaun Jackson someone whose yards per target is stuck at the top of the sport year over year Travis Kelsey his yards after the catch per target stuck at the top of the position year after year these players simply aren't going to regress because they're that talented 
So why would Patrick Mahomes regress? Will he? Because that's what I've heard. He's destined to regress, Sean. I I said after week one that he was going to be the number one quarterback this year. And and since then, we've had two more huge weeks. I don't, I don't think there's any reason. I mean, you know that. I mean, regress to what? He has one game on his resume before this year. Regress to league average? No. Regress to 2017 Alex Smith? Blasphemy. He is on another plane of existence from Alex Smith when you're measuring overall talent level. So there is no baseline for which you can expect Patrick Mahomes to regress to. But what you can do is simply enjoy the ride. Well, and I think that you're looking at seasons that are going to be Tom Brady seasons, Drew Brees seasons, Peyton Manning seasons, that kind of thing when you're talking about what is his realistic range. Now, when you have so few games to go back on it, is there a chance that it all falls apart? I mean, sure, there's always a chance. You have more risk when you have less of a sample. But I, I think we're looking at these very top quarterbacks as you know where he could move within. And when you look at the records, when you look at 55 touchdowns, when you look at 50 touchdowns, uh, the way that you get that is when you have a superstar with a great offensive scheme and great weapons, and then the likelihood of game situations all year long that will keep them attacking. I mean, the Chiefs were up 21 nothing on the Steelers. Game is instantly tied. There's no point at which they can afford to back off all season. And, and that's the one thing that really tends to kill the top quarterbacks or tends to give you that ceiling is that when you jump out 28 to nothing in the second quarter, you're simply not going to get the same number of attempts in the second half of games because your team has the game won. There may be some games like that. The Chiefs didn't attack quite as much in the second half against the 49ers, but you know they're not going to have that many games this season where they had the game won because you know their opponent is is always just a couple of possessions from being right back in it. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we have Andrew Luck. I can't believe that we're talking about a quarterback posting a Peyton Manning, Drew Brees-esque season, and one of the candidates is not Andrew Luck. It seemed like just a couple of years ago, because it was just a couple of years ago, but it's been a long couple of years for Andrew Luck, that he was one of the NFL's signature prolific passers. And now the league has passed him by, and he's currently league bottom in air yards per attempt. Is he just, is, is he toast? I, you know, it's, it's very hard to say because you don't know what his actual physical situation is, but we had a number of articles on the site. They put in Jacoby Brissett to throw the Hail Mary last week. You saw that single pass attempt by Jacoby Brissett. That was because, A, they didn't want to risk Andrew Luck hurting his shoulder, and B, they weren't sure he could deliver the football to the end zone. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's never a good sign. And, and Dr. Jeffrey Budoff has written a number of articles for us saying that the information out of Indianapolis has never made sense. The treatments that Luck has discussed don't fit with the medical literature. The things that the general manager has been saying uh, doesn't fit with the medical information. And so that doesn't mean that, you know, the player can't uh, turn it around, can't get back to 100%. The human body is a mystery, and certainly the actual information that we have is very limited compared to you know what they actually know. But there were some big red flags. And you put those big red flags then within this context of the Colts being at the opposite end of the spectrum from the Chiefs, right? You have T.Y. Hilton, he's a star, but you really have nothing else. They don't have secondary receivers. They don't have a running back. Uh, so you know when you're talking about this 
set of personnel and this overall system that can put pressure on the defense. They don't have that. So what they're set with is, you know, having to do these dump off passes to running backs, uh, that kind of approach, which, I mean, that's better than giving it to to Wilkins and running up the middle for half a yard. But you are going to see dump offs in this offense. Let's put the shoulder strength aside for a moment. Juxtaposing Kansas City and Indianapolis shows the value of a supporting cast. When you're surrounded by model breakers, we're not allowed to be surprised when you start to break models, right? And when you're surrounded by T.Y. Hilton, who you can't deliver the ball to deep anyway, and sub-replacement level pieces, you're not the quarterback. There's no way that quarterback finishes as a QB1 in fantasy football, which is partly why the quarterback position doesn't matter. As long as that quarterback is supported, is buoyed, by above average weaponry like you see in Atlanta and you see in Cincinnati that quarterback can finish as a QB1 four years ago Andy Dalton was a top five fantasy quarterback two years ago Matt Ryan was the MVP of the league and in another context those players are game managers and you know we we have finally seen this in fantasy where people simply do not want to take quarterbacks and partly that is because the position is just so so deep and so there's no scarcity but the other thing is just what you're saying where the, the position within those top guys is the results are going to be similar and it's difficult to predict who's going to have this particular year you know it still is a thing where people draft the guy who had the big numbers last year. But, you know, when you can get Cam Newton coming off of the season, you know, the 2016 to 2017, when you get Matt Ryan, I mean, this year when you can get Drew Brees, people are saying, well, this offense is is now a running offense and they've got a good defense and they're going to try and manage the games and they're going to win, you know, more in the mold of a Ravens or a Seahawks. You know, that's that's always possible. I mean, <laughs> that they did play a little bit like that last year. But when you have Drew Brees in the 13th, 14th round, and you, know, you have a couple of the games here, you see Michael Thomas, you see Alvin Kamara. I mean, what possible reason would there ever be to draft a quarterback early when, when you can get Drew Brees in the 13th round? It's not even quarterbacks that were productive for a full season last year. They're overdrafting Jimmy Garoppolo after seven games. And those players and those fantasy gamers are getting bailed out by Jimmy Garoppolo's torn ACL. But we saw before the torn ACL that Jimmy Garoppolo was going to underperform his ADP. So why are you drafting a quarterback with less than a full season of experience and below average weaponry? It makes no sense. Jimmy Garoppolo's ADP in fantasy football leagues was nonsense this summer. But now when you look at the latest of late-round quarterbacks, talk about Baker Mayfield, he was a last-round pick in some leagues, super flex even. Now he's the starter, and he's delivering the ball deep into tight windows. I mean, that's the best, right? Isn't that the Aaron Rodgers giveaway? Can this player deliver the ball deep in tight windows? And so now we see Baker Mayfield is the starter, but his best receiver is Jarvis Landry. So is that what will throttle Baker Mayfield's production, the lack of a Josh Gordon in that passing game? I don't think Jar- Jarvis Landry is is any problem. This is going to be huge for Landry. Landry now has the – I mean, Landry finished as a top five wide receiver last year. 
You just don't want Landry as your number one option. You'd like, you'd prefer a true X receiver, alpha dog, who can win in all quadrants like a Michael Thomas. But if you can't have one of those guys and you must have a possession receiver as your number one, then please make it Jarvis Landry because he's the best at that particular skill. He is, but he may be even more than that. I mean, he may be a physical version of Keenan Allen. I mean, we, we haven't seen him with a decent quarterback. He had to play for the Miami Dolphins. Then he had to suffer through those two and a half games with Tyrod Taylor. We're about to see what he can do with Baker Mayfield. And when you consider what he's done so far, the the chances that he emerges as a Keenan Allen plus kind of guy, they're definitely there, right? The, the thing is that just like what the Chiefs have with Hill and Watkins and Kelsey, but you want two, three, four good options. And the Browns, unless Callaway can start to catch the ball, they, they really have very, very little beyond, beyond Landry. And so they need their young tight end to step up. They need uh, Todd Haley needs to realize that Duke Johnson is on the team. They need to stop running Carlos Hyde into the line for one yard over and over and over again. I mean, get your players on the field. The same thing with, you know, why was Baker Mayfield playing? Why is Nick Chubb not playing? Why is Duke Johnson not playing? You've got these two interesting... No, don't even get me started on why Nick Chubb isn't playing. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. So, I mean, basically, I think the Browns will be fine as long as they start playing their starters. Do you know how many 100-yard games Jarvis Landry posted in 2017? How many? Zero. Do you know how many 100-yard games he has so far in 2018? How many? Two. He's two of three with 100-yard games with the Browns, and he was 0 for 16 100-yard games with the Miami Dolphins last season. We're already seeing the complete unlocking of Jarvis Landry. He only had 15 targets last week, Sean. <laughs> like, competing with Rashad Higgins, who is a inferior version of Jarvis Landry in every way, and a rookie in Antonio Callaway. I mean, that's who he's competing with in that wide receiver core, a wide receiver core that he established alpha dog status over during the offseason while Hard Knocks was filming. This shit is contagious. You gotta be out there. This shit is contagious, brah. Shit is contagious. Shit is contagious, brah. Shit, Sean, is contagious. Single season reception record. It's coming at some point for him. What? What? If not him, it'll be Michael Thomas. Because Michael Thomas currently has 38 receptions, and that's the most by any player all time through the first three weeks of a season. So Michael Thomas is the Patrick Mahomes of wide receivers. Does that make him the best wide receiver in the NFL? I, I don't think so, but he's obviously very, very good. You've got a great system in place there. You've got one of the top five quarterbacks of all time throwing to him. And you don't have a lot else, but you have the perfect split here because you have Thomas, you've got Kamara, both of those guys. Uh, the defense can't stop them both, but somehow no one else gets involved. Now, we've, we've seen some big plays from Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn, a little bit of an undervalued player as well. Uh, Michael Thomas doesn't have the ability to uh, single-handedly raise his quarterback the way a Julio Jones or a DeAndre Hopkins or an Odell Beckham does, but... You know, is Drew Brees and Michael Thomas, is that pairing the best in the NFL? Then I think you would have to say yes. And certainly when you look at the QB, RB, wide receiver stack, no one can compete with New Orleans. They are the new Steelers with the QB, RB, wide receiver that you can even stack in GPPs. They they definitely have that. And it's 
it's fantastic to watch. The very last thing that you can afford if you're playing against uh, the Saints guys, uh, even if you're not playing head to head with them, but you're just you're in the league with their owners, which obviously everyone is. The last thing you can afford is for them to go to overtime. You know, we have to stop these overtime games. They're going to end up just just destroying the system with that. I think the fun thing for Saints fans, and maybe not the fun thing for owners of some of these particular guys is that you are having Cameron Meredith come back. He's going to make a little bit of an impact. He's going to siphon off a few targets, uh, probably not in the next month, but maybe by the second half of the season, you're going to have Trey Smith. He's going to be the number two. He is the next star for them. And at that point, then you start to see these targets split a little bit more, which could make Drew Brees and this offense even more potent uh, may dampen Thomas's ceiling a little. All right, so Michael Thomas will be a sell-high candidate, especially when they go into their buy and you can't use him. That might be the perfect time to trade Michael Thomas, knowing that Cameron Meredith and Traquan Smith are on the horizon. But as of now, that is the signature consolidated target distribution in the NFL where Drew Brees looks to Michael Thomas. If Michael Thomas is not available, it goes to Alvin Kamara. That's it. So... We love to chase these teams with the consolidated target distributions. Think about the Vikings, the Texans, and the Steelers. Now, without Le'Veon Bell, the targets are consolidated down to Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. Is there another team out there that's an under-the-radar consolidated target distribution team? Well, this may be in a little bit of a different direction, but I think it's relevant in that with Kenny Galladay, breaking out and very quickly becoming the number one for them. You you have him, he really brings the attributes of both Tate and Jones. Not all of the run after catch attributes of Tate, obviously, but he's got the athleticism of Tate. He's got the size of Jones. Uh, he's a more intuitive player than either one of them. Um, people are worried. People are worried about Marvin Jones in particular. However, because they don't have a tight end, and because until this last week, and so I think the carry-on Johnson emergence is also perhaps just as critical as the Galladay emergence. If they just have Galladay, Jones, and Tate with the targets, no tight ends, you know, not as much for theoretic, and not a running game, then they can support all three receivers. And so perhaps the concerns with Jones are not as immediate as people think. Eight targets to running backs for the Lions last week. But that's partly because that's the defense that the Patriots play. They sag off the running backs in the flat, and they want the quarterbacks to dump the ball off to the running backs. Other teams are more aggressive in covering running backs out of the backfield. So we could see 80% of the targets moving forward be directed at Jones, Tate, and Galladay. And that's exciting. All three of those players are technically wide receiver twos. But Galladay is the only one with true fantasy WR1 upside and the true X receiver in the passing game, that alpha dog that we talk about. The one thing that Cleveland's missing without Josh Gordon and the thing that many teams are missing. So many teams would love to have a Kenny Galladay who they can just post up outside and he can win one-on-one against opposing number one corners. So few players can do that. Some teams have two guys that can do that. That appears to be the case in Pittsburgh with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. And when you look at Juju Smith-Schuster and you look at Kenny Galladay and you look at Chris Godwin, are we in the midst of a great wide receiver two renaissance and a complete turnover of the talent at the wide receiver position? That's exciting, right? 
I think so. The idea that there were going to be too many good wide receivers or that the wider top wide receiver scoring was going to be pulled down by the second receiver, the third receiver, the running back, all that kind of thing. I mean, there's some truth to that, but the thing that we're seeing now and the thing that we're seeing as long as the quarterbacks are healthy and, you know, we could get to a point like we were at last year where so many of the people are hurt or simply bad. We also have, you know, some, some fun new talent being injected into the quarterback position. But when we have good quarterback play, we can have these big time performances from multiple wide receivers. The talent is there. You've got a situation with the Texans where I, it's hard to understand how the Texans are struggling like they are, especially the last couple of weeks, because Will Fuller is a star. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So when you have Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, how do you stop that? Well, the, the Texans tend to find a way to stop themselves, but hopefully they will get that turned around. Yeah, a lot of, of great wide receiver twos. Juju Smith-Schuster, here's the guy. And again, I think this is a, a situation where people can overvalue volume or can be overly conservative in terms of how they're approaching this. One of the great things about taking the top wide receivers is that the volume can be there for them. They're less at the whim of a court of a coach saying, Oh, well, Nick Chubb, we're going to just completely play you behind a terrible starter. You get those multiple receivers out there and the star will get to show that he's a star. So, you know, the, the second year wide receiver model showed Smith Schuster far undervalued, even in the fourth round. Right. So that seems like a risk, but there was actually plenty of excess value just sitting there on the table for Smith Schuster drafters, you know, he's a star. You're going to see guys like Smith Schuster and Fuller, um, <laughs> unless something happens with those quarterbacks, unless something happens with those offenses. But they're on their way to being up in that second, third round area. With Smith Schuster, you know, you're looking at a first round pick in next year's draft. The great wide receiver two renaissance is what will propel zero RB drafted teams to championships this season. And you and I both executed the zero RB approach in our Apex Expert League draft that we participated in. And I did the cliche expert drafty thing where I just took the wide receiver that projected to command the biggest target share at the number one wide receiver position on the board and stacked my chips accordingly as the rounds ticked by. You go Jarvis Landry, I go Amari Cooper. You drafted Jarvis Landry before Amari Cooper, before Josh Gordon was traded. I was not willing to draft Jarvis Landry in the third round because I was afraid the target share wouldn't be there with Josh Gordon. Same reason I drafted Alshon Jeffrey and you draft Juju Smith-Schuster. I'm worried about the target share for Juju Smith-Schuster and therefore draft the wide receiver on the prolific offense sitting in that number one wide receiver chair. As it turns out, by drafting the more talented players round after round and not being as concerned with the target share, that's where you can gain an advantage, in particular in expert leagues. But the great thing is, even though I didn't draft well, Sean, we're both 4-2. and two. That's the beauty of zero RB. You don't have to hit on all these receivers. I hit on Michael Thomas earlier. So I'm 4-2. and two. It doesn't matter. This is why zero RB will be redeemed in 2018. This great offensive renaissance was something we could all see coming because all the quarterbacks were hurt last year and the rules changed in the offseason to help the healthy stud quarterbacks, to help the ascending young quarterbacks throw for 400 yards each and every week. 
the trend is consistent. The, the, the pass to run ratio has been increasing year over year. The trend has been consistent, stretching back 10 plus years that the NFL is a passing league and it's becoming more skewed to the pass each and every year. And that long trend showed you that zero RB isn't going anywhere. And now the zero RB drafters are enjoying the fruits of this 10 year trend that is reaching crescendo in 2018. <laughs> it's exciting, man. And one of the great things about it too is that there are multiple ways to win this year. And I think that's when fantasy football is at its best. Certainly people who drafted Todd Gurley, people who drafted Alvin Kamara, they're not regretting those picks in the least. No, I drafted Saquon Barkley. I mean, I say zero RB, but I really went RB and then five receivers. But it, was, it felt like zero RB because you and I were drafting wide receivers back to back, back to back, back to back, back to back. And you drafted Rob Gronkowski in the second round. And that was a big decision point for me. Michael Thomas versus Rob Gronkowski. So we didn't necessarily implement the by the book zero RB. And you can't in an expert league where a lot of the other drafters are also drafting zero RB. But RB plus four receivers is certainly a tactic that we talked about this offseason and seems to be delivering for a lot of fantasy gamers. Yeah, and, and you look at some of the leagues uh, where you have, say, three wide receivers double flex when you start five wide receivers that's another very exciting format for approaching it that way please please fantasy gamers do yourself a favor if you're a commissioner add a flex spot i don't care how many you have right now maybe you have three right now go add four you have five add six you have six add seven whatever number of flex spots you have right now add another one for 2019 that, that just reminds me that it that rewards the best drafters but it also just rewards everyone in that you get to have your guys in the lineup. What's the least fun part of every week? Having Tyler Boyd put up top 10 fantasy numbers on your bench. <laughs> exactly. It's deciding between identical players where it's really just a coin flip, whether you play them, and then you start the wrong one. Your bench guy scores a lot of points. You made the decision to have him on, on the team. He's a good player. Your team is good. And you know you miss out on all those points because of luck. Yeah. Add, add more starting positions. It, it makes the league more fun. It adds strategy to your draft. And, you know, you get to have those Tyler Boyd points. I, I had Tyler Boyd in on a number of teams this past week. Also had him on the bench on a number of teams. Um, he's mostly going to be in the starting lineup going forward. Looks fantastic, doesn't he? He does. What do you do with John Ross and Dynasty? Because it's the Tyler Boyd show behind A.J. Green. Uh, Ross, I think, is another one of those situations where, for me, it's up to, to him as opposed to being overly concerned about the the target split and the volume. You know, he's got that speed. If he can play football, he could be their Tyreek Hill, right? If he can play football, if they can use him in the offense, they've had a couple times this season where uh, Dalton has had him open and missed him, and then a couple times where he's had him made the perfect 50-yard pass and Ross does not go up and make a play on the ball like Tyreek Hill does. So, you know, that's where you have to have him do the things that an NFL wide receiver does uh, to, to, to be successful, which is you have to run your routes, you have to go up and challenge for the ball when your quarterback drops it into you 50 yards down the way. I still think that he can do it. He had, uh, obviously, the plays in college. I think this idea that he was an overrated college player uh, is, is not exactly true. It was more that he just wasn't a top 10 draft pick, right? He was more of a mid-second round 
kind of guy. Well, NFL draft analysts didn't have John Ross in their top 10. The Cincinnati Bengals shocked the world by drafting John Ross at 10. No one saw that coming. Right. And, and so, you know, when you adjust to where he should really be, the Bengals had some weird stuff going on last year. Obviously, they had weird stuff going on with Boyd. I mean, Boyd... Weird, yeah. Boyd is a big-time player. You know, his, his top three comps coming out of college were Antonio Brown, Stephon Diggs, and Randall Cobb, right? So first year was very solid. Second year was was just missing. Same thing for John Ross last season. One of those guys has obviously stepped up. The other hasn't, but... When you have 4-2-2 speed, it's similar to what you see with Hill. I mean, even at the NFL level, no one can stay with you. So I think if you have Ross, you're holding. If you don't have him, if you can get him as a throw-in to a trade right now, definitely go out and do that. The player profiler cheat code for drafting wide receivers in Dynasty is find those with a college dominator above the 80th percentile and a breakout age above the 80th percentile. Where do you think Tyler Boyd fits into that matrix? I would have to think it's at the very top. Yes, indeed. Checks those boxes. If you know nothing else, Sean, and you just have those two numbers, your dynasty team will be in good hands. And they may be number two receivers, like Juju Smith-Schuster. He checks that box, too. (laughs) Right? I mean age-adjusted college dominance age-adjusted college dominance that's juju smith schuster that's tyler boyd that's chris godwin in tampa tell me just be honest what are the chances that chris godwin is better than mike evans i think it's low but not non-existent i mean we've seen evans struggle at points and we've seen that i've seen him struggle for a full year well, and he's slightly more one-dimensional than you might like. Now, that dimension, you know, we talk about one-dimensional versus... It's a big dimension. You know, if the dimension is is good enough and important enough, then one-dimensional is fine, <laughs> right. right? But when you look at, at Godwin, um, he, he's got great metrics. Certainly, we were picking him as one of the key breakout players. He was the person with the biggest gap between ADP, points implied by ADP, and what the model said for his second season. The, the biggest guy from those second-year players. Now, a lot of them look great. You know, Galladay looked great. Juju Smith-Schuster, I mentioned how the model had him as a roaring value, even all the way up in the fourth round. Um, but of all the guys, Godwin had the biggest gap between ADP, ADP implied points and the model's projection. It was right there for people. And... Unfortunately, a lot of your readers, a lot of our readers took advantage of that. I don't think he's necessarily as good as Mike Evans. I wouldn't be surprised if he develops into an equally valuable receiver for them. You watched the game last night. Uh, Deshaun Jackson does one thing well. Mike Evans does one thing well. Chris Godwin looks like this well-rounded potential star. He's the next Roddy White. That's what he is. And if... Mike Evans is a poor man's Julio Jones, then that's fine. Then they're about equivalent. But I see Chris Godwin as the next Roddy White when I watch him play. And I've seen years, multiple years, where Mike Evans had no target competition 
and underwhelmed. He was inefficient with the targets he commanded. Every time Chris Godwin steps on the football field, he's stepping into a situation where he's competing with O.J. Howard, Deshaun Jackson, and Mike Evans for targets. And when he is targeted, he's efficient with those targets. I've never seen Chris Godwin not be efficient and command volume regardless of the competition. I can't say the same for Mike Evans. But that's also why Jameis Winston is now being benched, because they're they're certainly assigning some of the Mike Evans blame to him. Oh, that's right. Absolutely. Now, we talked about Tyler Boyd in Cincinnati. If A.J. Green doesn't play, Josh Malone looks a lot like A.J. Green. Certainly, he's not A.J. Green, right? He would have broken out already. He would have surpassed Tyler Boyd on the depth chart if he were A.J. Green. So he's not A.J. Green. But I see some A.J. Green in Josh Malone. And given that, is there a chance that he commands more targets if A.J. Green is out than John Ross? It'll be interesting to see how that that plays out. I mean, Malone had some interesting metrics, probably not to the point where, you know, he's a must-buy or a must-add. Certainly, if you can get him as a throw-in in in certain kinds of trades. But yeah, Ross's issue and the issue that you see with all of these top guys is that they do break out early because of the opportunity that comes with the draft slot. So you actually want to be more skeptical of the players who are drafted really early and what their progression is than people who are drafted later because they're getting that chance and they're getting that chance to fail earlier with Ross. You know, we have those questions and now Malone, until you get that chance on the field to show what you can do, then people don't know what you are. And so this is certainly the point where maybe we can see that (laughs) hopefully for Bengals fans and, and green owners, he'll be okay. Because John Ross was a top 10 pick, even through 19 games of a career, he's already trending on the wrong side of for real status, in quotes. Calvin Ridley, on the other hand, is on the right side of for real status. Even after week one, where he did not record a reception, roars back with three touchdowns, equaling Julio Jones' 2017 touchdown total, which I can guarantee caused multiple computer screens and television screens to be destroyed by fantasy gamers this past weekend. So you agree, Calvin Ridley is for real, or are you not ready to say that yet? He's for real. You mentioned earlier some of the things you're looking for. The two main things I'm looking for are those same things. You're looking for a an early breakout. He broke out as a freshman. We have a, a very high standard for early breakout in terms of what we're looking for, a, a 30% dominator rating. You hit that, you know, that's a a huge sign. And then you want to declare for the draft early. Calvin Ridley, it was a weird situation because he was so old at the different points uh, that he went through the college experience. And so that makes some of the numbers look funny. But the fact of the matter is just in terms of experience adjusted performance, he was fantastic, right? So certainly now that we have what he did in college, we have this big game first round draft pick in a good offense. You know, you, you can't really go and try and take him away when you have Julio Jones uh, if if you don't have Calvin Ridley, you know, try and wait a couple weeks and, and pick him up, even if you have to buy high. In fairness to those of us questioning Calvin Ridley's first-round draft grade, he did abuse P.J. Williams in that New Orleans secondary. So he took advantage of one of the worst number three corners in the NFL when he wasn't being covered by Marshawn Lattimore. So I'd like to see one more game. I think that's reasonable to see one more game where you're covered by a cornerback 
who's competent. Because that's what we got to see with Tyler Boyd. I mean, that was the beauty of the Tyler Boyd game. You didn't play Tyler Boyd because he was playing Carolina, and they have a quality secondary. So if you can go out and post over 100 yards against a quality secondary, that means a lot. That means even more than someone who goes out and scores three touchdowns against a weak secondary. Now, another wide receiver with phenomenal metrics across the board coming out who's been slow to break out, but it looks like it's happening, is Tyler Lockett for real? I'm going to say yes on this as well, although when you're looking at Lockett, you're looking at a profile of a somewhat vertical receiver, limited total chances and so he's got to convert on those now with russell wilson you have an excellent chance to convert on them but it makes it a tricky play on a on a week-to-week basis and that overall offense is a big concern because anytime you play in an offense as bad as the seahawks offense is then you need to score a 52 yard touchdown with one of your six targets right he will be a volatile weekly play but i think he's for real definitely incredible dominator rating and athleticism coming out of Kansas State. And he had what Tyler Boyd also had. The Tylers were great special teams players. And you see these great special teams players at the college level, great instinctual football players, able to carry that over to the NFL game well. That's another reason why I'm confident in Tyler Lockett. Now, Quincy Adunua was not a special teamer at Nebraska, but he also has the upper percentile dominator rating and the incredible size-adjusted athleticism. And I'm not surprised that he's dominating the target share in New York. Is he for real? I think for him, interestingly, even though he's had more elite games to start this season and before he missed 2017, uh, had some decent games in the past, would like to see more there. His college profile is is tricky because it was more limited and the raw stats were more limited in terms of what he did that's right because he played on this wishbone style nebraska offense but the jets are the jets are exciting and the jets are very intriguing what they will do with the young quarterback will he also be a star it was unfortunate for him to to be contrasted there with mayfield with with the big comeback but I'm not giving up on Robbie Anderson by any chance. The people who do what Anderson did in college under the radar come out, immediately put together a couple of seasons as someone where none of that was expected, have this elite vertical ability. You know, I think that Anderson is sort of a Deshaun Jackson plus kind of guy. What? What? When you're looking at that, then there can be some adjustment when you go to this new new quarterback. So I expect that Anderson will start to carve out his targets, will start to offer that vertical ability, and that Jets offense will start to really hum, especially if they add uh, someone at the running back position uh, as opposed to what they're currently trotting out. Shots fired at Bilal Powell and Isaiah Crowell by Sean Siegel on the Roto Underworld Radio program. You want to fire some shots at Corey Davis? You worried about him? Well, I was going to ask you your take on Davis. He's one where it just it would not seem like it should make any difference at all, right? You go to college, you dominate from the beginning, you put up huge numbers. But the fact of the matter is just that people who stay for their four years in college have horrifically worse numbers than players who declare early. 
Why didn't he declare early? I don't understand why he didn't. Why that extra season at Western Michigan? Why did he feel the need? I don't understand. And he was out-targeted and out-produced by Taewon Taylor in fantasy football last week. We talked about this risk that Taewon Taylor would out-produce Corey Davis, that the upside is draft capital driven and size driven. But I don't like to draft a guy just because he's big and was drafted in the top 10. I need to see more at the NFL level in order to draft a guy in the sixth round, which is where you saw him going in fantasy drafts. So he was a stay away player for me. If you're going to draft anyone, draft Rashard Matthews or Taewon Taylor in the double digit rounds. And I love Taewon Taylor. Because Taewon Taylor was also incredibly productive at a small school that consistent yards per reception over 17 year over year. And he's the guy they're moving all around the formation. It's not Corey Davis. They say they were going to, and then they don't. It's Taewon Taylor who's commanding the targets with fewer snaps. And he's much more versatile than Corey Davis. Corey Davis had a prolific college resume at a small school and i've been burned we won't talk about who i was burned by a a phenomenal size adjusted athlete who posted video game numbers at a small school it's happened before it can happen again he might be a bust sean right very discouraging and you have to take that into consideration i've talked about how great a value smith schuster and godwin were uh the numbers were just as bad for Davis, where he was being overdrafted based on, you know, how the different things fit with the model. And the model emphasizes the college performance. And, and Corey Davis was a college superstar. When you talk about the model, you're talking about Rotoviz's proprietary wide receiver projection model. But but, sim- but, but simple things with, again, the, the age-adjusted uh, production, the breakout age, college dominator, those those types of things. And then that first year production, which also factors in the draft slot. So we look at that and, you know, Davis was overvalued. He's off to a poor start, but doesn't this all really boil down to Marcus Mariota? If Mariota becomes a legitimate above average NFL quarterback, which seemed like a done deal. I mean, it seemed like the most straightforward thing. Right. It seemed like it was destined to happen, right? I mean, you look at, at Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. I mean, Mariota looked like those guys plus. And, and in terms of the safety, I mean, he looked much more like a sure thing. Yeah, a lock to be a quality starter at the NFL level. That was Marcus Mariota at Oregon. They also called Patrick Mahomes a system quarterback, right? They called Baker Mayfield a system quarterback. I am unaffected by the system quarterback pejorative when I'm reading scouting reports. The system is the quarterback. It was the Marcus Mariota system at Oregon. Well, Mahomes was knocked because Texas Tech would give up like 55 points a game, and so they would lose, right? But that's one of the things, too, where he's— He doesn't play defense. He's not thrown off by needing to score 40 points for the Chiefs. He's like, this is just what I do. You go out there, you score 40, 50 points. (laughs) Right, yes, yes, yes. But but with Davis and with with Taylor, right, you don't want either one of those guys unless the Titans— can prove that they, number one, are running a legitimate NFL offense, and number two, that that Marcus Mariota can play. Wouldn't Devin Funches have been Corey Davis had he gone to Western Michigan instead of Michigan? Uh, I I doubt it, but it's certainly possible. There there were great things about Devin Funches. I I never understood why he was being knocked for the fact that their offense didn't throw the ball a lot, because basically that's what the knocks on on Funches as a college player came down to. He's too big. He's too big. 
and his team doesn't throw the ball enough because they have a running back at quarterback. And that criticism has endured. No fantasy gamers like Devin Funches. It's bizarre. Yet all he does is produce. Bizarre. Well, I think that when you look at when you look at the Panthers, right, and you've got Cam Newton, you know that he would prefer to run for one touchdown than throw five. So you know that when he gets down there, what he's going to try and do is take it in himself. He loves that. I know. He's calling his own number because he wants to celebrate Cam Newton. When they're in the middle of the field, you know that his main, not necessarily goal, but what is going to happen, what he sees when he's visualizing the play, is that he sees Devin Funches at like seven feet tall with a 50-inch vertical leap, and he's thinking, how can I still overthrow this guy? Right, so that's I think that those are the things that come into play when the fantasy owners don't want punches because there are some there are some obstacles there there are some hiccups you're going to run into but but he's a very solid player it was it was strange to see his ADP coming off of last season especially because volume is now so heavily emphasized and it was difficult to see unless you're a DJ Moore super fan like I am like you probably are or maybe were before the last one. So you're not worried about DJ Moore at all? Right. So, I mean, unless you think that DJ Moore is, is the next superstar, then where else were they going to get these, you know, the, the targets from? Now, Greg Olson. DJ Moore is going to break out all over the place in 2019. But this year, it's the year of Devin Funches. And if you have him and you drafted him in the ninth round, enjoy it. So you're not, you're not acquiring more in a redraft right now seeing this offense with Christian McCaffrey, uh, probably now the third or fourth best running back, certainly the third or fourth best fantasy value. You've got Cam Newton. You've got Devin Funches to take a little bit of pressure off. Torrey Smith was six targets last week. I can't confidently acquire DJ Moore. You know, it's one of those interesting things. Because he's so good, I would wait until I see the snap share increase, knowing that he will command the targets. I don't need to see the targets. I just want to see snaps for DJ Moore, and we're not seeing them yet. But when you talk about the targets that Torrey Smith is getting, I, I've always loved Torrey Smith. He's fine. He's not that old, man. It's not like Torrey Smith is going anywhere. I can see he and Cam Newton clicking, him being what they had with Kelvin Benjamin, the inefficient outside wide receiver. Ah, he seems like such a cool guy. I, I owned him for years and years. Didn't pay off those those third, fourth seasons. He gets open at will. You know, he's bigger. He's more athletic than people think. But, I mean, it's it's Darius Hayward Bay level hands. I mean, he, he just simply cannot catch. There are very few wide receivers. I always discount drops. Uh, if you can buy someone who's had a drops problem, who is otherwise a star, go out and do it instantly. Mm-hmm. But... Torrey Smith is one of the few people who really is is such a poor catcher of the football that it has limited him as an NFL player, and it, it's going to get DJ Moore into the offense because you know Smith has had some big drops already for them this year. Well, Torrey Smith struggled with drops at Maryland, so when you're struggling with drops at the college level, that is a major red flag because those receptions are typically easier to convert. So week one, DJ Moore snap share twenty two point four. Week two. 25.4. Week 3, 38.5. 13% increase in snap share for DJ Moore. If that snap share jumps over 40, maybe even 50 next week, he likely won't pop in the box score, but that's when you can pick him up. And if you have room, pick him up now and hope for the best. 
But I did that last week with Traquan Smith, and I didn't see Traquan Smith in the fucking box score. <sighs> yes, the uh, the Saints usage has been frustrating, but unlike the vast majority of other teams who have had frustrating personnel moves, it's hard to argue with the Saints and, and what they're actually accomplishing on the field. The easiest rookie snap share to argue with is Michael Gallup's. What the hell? How is Michael Gallup not in the game more? That's the most maddening of the the lack of rookie wide receiver usage. Oh, what are you doing, Dallas? Do they really think they have a better option than Michael Gallup? Please, please. Well, it's one of the, the, the fun things that you get. You get this battle between the Cowboys and Des Bryant where um, – that, that's really the only good karma, right, that the Cowboys have going for them is that Des Bryant is rooting against them. But his <laughs> criticisms all, all seem completely legitimate. It's, you know, they, Alan Hearns, again, probably not a star, but they have not managed to do anything with him. They, you know, they don't have a tight end. They, it, it's, it's unclear what Dak Prescott and the offensive players are out there are supposed to do when you're going up against an NFL defense. They don't have the talent. They don't have the scheme to really have any chance. Michael Gallup snap share week one, 39%. Week two, 42%. Week three, 47%. So he's on a higher plane of snap share increase than DJ Moore. So even though the targets are not yet there, the snaps are increasing, it could happen. Any given week, suddenly that snap share bounces up to 80%, and we have a Michael Gallup breakout. It could happen. It could it could, it could actually happen. There are so many wide receiver twos that are ready to break out beyond the wide receiver twos that have already broken out, and we've spent the entire show celebrating them. I mean, Sterling Shepard, right? Without Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard has top 24 wide receiver potential, especially this week, does he not? I think so. Shepard, the two people who jumped out in our SimScore model, so historical comparisons and then what those people did the following seasons, the two people who were the most wildly undervalued this year, um, or, or really the three people, you have Nelson Aguilar, you have Sterling Shepard, and you have Devin Funchess. You already mentioned Funchess. Shepard, again, you, you have this volume issue but especially at the wide receiver position, you want to bet on talent and talent as defined mostly by production because that's how we know people are good. That's how we know wide receivers are good. When you go out and you perform in college like Shepard did his last several seasons, then you go out and you have two very good seasons to start your NFL career. Then you're on this run. That's who you are. Sterling Shepard is those first two seasons. Exactly. And so it really required two big problems to occur for him not to be a value. The one would be just that those other guys were so amazing, which was in play, right? If Odell Beckham is his top level, if Evan Ingram breaks out to being the like healthy version of Jordan Reed, uh, if Barkley catches passes like Alvin Kamara, then yeah, you're going to have a little bit target squeeze of a volume squeeze. Yeah. Right. The other issue is just that Eli Manning is awful. And there, we, we see this with the Arizona Cardinals, for example. I and mean, if you're a Larry Fitzgerald owner, you're not sitting there thinking to yourself, well, you know, has Larry lost it? You're thinking to yourself, this offense is one of the worst offenses I have ever seen. Now, Eli Manning may not be to that level, but Eli Manning is bad. And so when you combine a volume squeeze with a poor quarterback, then you can see it for Sterling Shepard. But Fortunately for him, fortunately for his owners, it, we're going the other way, where this is a guy who, like you said, this is what he is. He's a good player. 
he's a very startable fantasy wide receiver. Yeah, and he can command 10 targets this week against New Orleans. Get Sterling Shepard in your lineups this week. Now, the rookie who's rising fastest is not Antonio Callaway, in my opinion. It's Christian Kirk. Do you think he has, let's say, wide receiver three potential the rest of the way? I do. We definitely want to see what Rosen can do. But even in that sort of short aborted time period, we saw some encouraging things, which were zip on the passes and passes getting out quickly, which, you know, you talk about these, what these teams are doing where they have these bridge quarterbacks and then you watch the bridge quarterback and you're like, that guy's decision-making is slow. The ball's coming out of his hand with nothing on it. He's committing turnovers. How does that help a team? How is that bridging to the next guy? Then you get the rookie coming out. Is this your argument for why the Colts should be playing Jacoby Brissett? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dagger! Dagger! Oh! But yes, I mean, Christian Kirk, very exciting. Uh, John Lipinski wrote an article for us recently talking about how this class of wide receivers is historically undervalued, right? We had all of these running backs who, they were good. Right. But none of them other than Barkley to this crazy level where you're thinking, OK, well, I've, I've absolutely got to have a running back. Darius Geis would have slayed this year, by the way. He would have slayed whatever Adrian Peterson's doing times two for Darius Geis this year if he were healthy. That's definitely a possible. I'm never going to to argue in favor of I mean, <laughs> yeah, arguing against a hypothetical is um, is not easy. Well, I just. Adrian Peterson was done a long time ago, right? So if he's putting up big numbers, you know that the numbers are there for the taking in that offense. Oh, God. Poor Darius Geis. He's watching these games at home. Just talk about throwing televisions and breaking computer screens. I mean, there's multiple destroyed at Darius Geis' house. But you've got Calvin Ridley. You've got Christian Kirk. You've got Cortland Sutton. You have this group of receivers who should have been clear middle of the first round rookie picks and and they weren't because of an overreaction so great values to those players and and kirk again early breakout early declare solid draft slot and a ton of opportunity because this team you know you talked about the consolidated target shares this team is a team where you could have that because you have larry fitzgerald and then you have nothing Every other target in that offense that does not go to David Johnson, and you have to desperately hope as a fan of decent football or a fan of David Johnson that they get him involved in the passing game. Every target that doesn't go to those two guys needs to go to Christian Kirk. They have nobody else, and he can get it done for them. I was surprised to see Christian Kirk's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com after the combine, Stephon Diggs. And then I looked at the metrics across the board, similar size, 40 time, breakout age, dominator. These are guys that were incredibly productive as freshmen, and you're not allowed to be surprised when they're productive as rookies in the NFL. Stephon Diggs was, and I think that Christian Kirk will be, because who else is there? Chad Williams? Nah, 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 nah. It's Christian Kirk, and he announced his breakout this past week with eight targets and converted that into seven catches for 90 yards. The touchdowns will come. I think the targets are consolidated down to Fitzgerald and Kirk because Ricky Seals-Jones, a nice value in the later rounds, maybe, but he's Ricky Seals-Jones, right? He's a move tight end. So you have David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk. That's only three players commanding targets in the passing game. And if the volume increases with Rosen, which we hope it will, woo! 
That's consolidated. Antonio Callaway, also a fourth-round pick. And if he had actually been able to finish school without being suspended at various points, he would have been a second-round pick. So you can go down this list of rookie-wide receivers, and there was incredible value in the second round. I often trade rookie picks, but I was not trading my second-rounders this year because I knew you could use them to get the Christian Kirks and the Traquan Smiths and Michael Gallup. A lot of very productive and versatile wide receivers in this 2018 draft class coming off of three straight years of bust wide receiver classes it just makes sense that eventually we would get a quality draft class and here we are now looking at running backs talk about david johnson time to buy low i think so i mean he's too good right it's not like saquon barkley is in a great offense although they have better receiving weapons which takes some of the pressure off you look at ezekiel elliott in a horrible offense uh, david johnson with the hybrid ability he has i mean the touchdown pass he caught last week how many running backs can make that play now there there are definitely some but when you're talking about a guy his size and with his overall profile to make that play look that easy yeah definitely buying low on david johnson a lesser version of david johnson you could argue is in indianapolis in marlon mack time to buy low on marlon mack the health there, I think, makes it impossible to say, and whether or not he can become the receiver. They they drafted a rookie who has some intriguing dual threat ability. I think Hines still ends up factoring in there. Obviously had that horrible preseason, but then you see the twirling, reaching touchdown he scored in week two. Um, with the way you've been describing that Indianapolis offense, what we're seeing from them, I don't know that Mac is, mm. you know, he's a, if he's a free ad, you definitely want him there. But otherwise, I don't know that you have to go out of your way to acquire him. Royce Freeman by low? Well, if Philip Lindsay is going to get himself kicked out every week, then <laughs> more appealing, right? He's run into this issue here where a little bit like with the Austin Eckler, a little bit like with a Matt Breida, you have a backup who is perfect for what the NFL now is, right? You have a, a guy who can catch the ball, a guy who has the ability to make guys miss behind the line of scrimmage because he's got that elite agility. The NFL does not need 225 pound guys to run into the line and fall down. And as soon as teams figure that out and incorporate it into what they're doing, then their offenses will get better. Now, I don't think that's who Royce Freeman is. Royce Freeman, the two people I was, or the three people I was most comparing him to and, and stipulating that he was sort of a, a poor man's version, right? But coming out, a lot of similarities to David Johnson, a lot of similarities to Le'Veon Bell, maybe more similarities to Doug Martin, who before he had all of these weird issues, I mean, Doug Martin was a star as a rookie. Yeah. And then had that one other excellent season. Royce Freeman has some fantastic production. He had fantastic early production, which also does matter at the running back position in terms of, of college production. He's got excellent agility for a big guy, and he's got some sneaky receiving potential. But unless they're going to let him do that, then he's tough to buy low on because otherwise you're really just looking at goal line touches. You, know, you, you look at Isaiah Crowell, you look at Carlos Hyde, what they did last week. If they don't get carries from the one-yard line, those guys are worthless. And when you're putting your team together and you're trying to buy low on people, you know how how do you do that if you have to have multiple one-yard touchdown carries in order to be a value in any given week? You'd like your players to have more outs. 
And it looks like Christian McCaffrey, with 28 carries, up from his previous career high of 15, has as many outs at any given play as any running back in the league. So is his ceiling number three fantasy back behind Gurley and Kamara? I think so. That's what I was writing this week. It did occur to me that Barkley also would be in that group. I think that's the foursome that you're really looking at right now. Unbelievable. This is great news. I mean, his comps, right, in... Unlike Freeman, where he's sort of a poor man's version, I mean, Christian McCaffrey is sort of a, a supercharged version of Ray Rice, LaShawn McCoy. And you look at what they did season one to season two. They were involved in season one. They were involved as receivers. But if you're going to pigeonhole these guys just because they can catch as, as only receivers or only scatbacks, that's not what the evidence suggests. It's certainly not what McCaffrey's tenure at Stanford suggested and now we see and especially when teams have to account for for Cam Newton I mean you cannot stop the combination of those two guys no you can't and so Christian McCaffrey is the ultimate satellite back plus and you know it by looking at the dominator rating the dominator rating tells you this guy's more than just a satellite back 50 percent 50 percent dominator rating he accounted for half of Stanford's offense Stanford is not western state This wasn't an Austin Eckler situation. Stanford's a major conference program. Christian McCaffrey is for real, and he just got 28 carries. To me, that matters a lot more than that one goal line carry he got in preseason. He's not going to get any goal line carries with Cam Newton, but if he can get 28 carries and break a touchdown, oh, in addition to the catches, that's how he becomes a top three running back in fantasy football. And another Satellite Back Plus emerged last week, Giovanni Bernard, right? This week, he plays Atlanta. Atlanta, who just allowed Alvin Kamara to catch 15 passes. In the history of fantasy football, one of the great rules of thumb the last five years has been play your satellite backs against the Atlanta Falcons. That's been true for as long as I've been playing fantasy football, it seems. And now, with the majority of their linebacker core on injured reserve, the Falcons are struggling even more to stop the satellite back. So Giovanni Bernard has to be projected as a running back one in fantasy football this week, right? I think so. And I think that you like to play not just against the Falcons, but those teams that can score. Yes. You have so much potential for when you think about what the Chargers have done, the Chargers have done it multiple weeks, but what the Chargers did against the Chiefs when they're trailing and you have not just like a a three or four yard dump off, but like 15 yard dump off passes to, you know, where you get these massive catches and runs for Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler. Anytime that you can play your guys against the slightly weaker defenses where their offense is likely to put you in a prolonged catch up scenario. I mean, that's absolutely perfect for fantasy. So I'll list some satellite backs. You tell me who you think is the next Giovanni Bernard in fantasy football. Is it Tariq Cohen? Philip Lindsay, Austin Eckler, Jalen Richard, or Javorius Allen? I don't think you can go wrong with any of those guys, although having a part of the Oakland offense is maybe not as appealing. The biggest star there, I think, is Eckler, in that if something happened to Melvin Gordon, I think you're looking at a player who would not be that dissimilar to Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey. He had the dominator rating at Western State, as I mentioned. He can carry a full workload. He's done it before. Right. And you look at you look at a player like that who, you know, that's not someone who had who has come through his career with limited touches. And he's not someone who is slender or uh, I mean, he, he's a, a thick guy. Right. And his right. athleticism is off the charts. 
there's absolutely nothing about him that is not above average NFL running back element, right? No characteristic that doesn't scream, this guy could be a star. This is why I love Dynasty, Sean. Austin Eckler was a throw-in in Dynasty trades this offseason. I acquired Austin Eckler in multiple Dynasty leagues as a throw-in. Look, Cohen is going to get more work. They have to get him involved. Jordan Howard uh, has been solid, but that's what he is. Philip Lindsay, you know, how does that guy not get drafted? You know, you talk about... How does he not get invited to the Combine? <laughs> it's because this idea that talent... And what you do on the field are two different things, which is unfortunate, especially when you have someone like Lindsay who... That's how Noah Brown gets invited to the Combine without a collegiate resume of any substance whatsoever. But you mentioned, just you know, quickly here, you mentioned Javorius Allen, who that's someone where you know he's not going to score the number of points he scored last week on that limited number of touches very often. But Javorius Allen's kind of that big guy too. So if if that's your cup of tea, you know, you want this big guy with plus athleticism. I mean, Javorius Allen is also sort of your poor man's Doug Martin, you know, when Doug Martin was good, right? Or your poor man's uh, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell kind of player. I mean, you're talking about a 220-pound guy with elite athleticism who can catch the ball and the team will put him in at the goal line. I mean, when you're talking about what you want, you want high-value touches, and that's what Allen brings to the table. That's all he gets. I feel so bad for Alex Collins just eating up those low-calorie touches between the 20s, and then they bring in Javorius Allen to punch it in. They bring in Javorius Allen in the two-minute drill. Poor Alex Collins. Total fraud. Now, speaking of fraud running backs, you mentioned Jordan Howard. Now, Jordan Howard is a volume-based play in fantasy football. You have to draft Jordan Howard eventually based on volume. You have to. It's not that you like Jordan Howard, but opportunity is opportunity. But you'll notice something funny happening in Chicago. The Chicago Bears were sold to be this year's L.A. Rams because they added Matt Nagy. Oh, my God. Ah! Matt Nagy. He's from the Andy Reid coaching tree. Sean, I mean, what do we do about Matt Nagy? At what point do you revoke his genius card? Are you concerned because they blew that game unnecessarily to the Packers or because they really struggled against the Cardinals this last week? Everything. Body of work. We expected Mitchell Trubisky to be the next Jared Goff. That's not happening. I thought Trey Burton was a top five tight end. That's not happening. I was convinced by the analysts that Anthony Miller would be the top scoring rookie wide receiver. None of this is happening. And the reasoning was always, oh, Matt Nagy. Oh, Matt Nagy. I think that a little bit of that ends up being unfair to the different people involved because Miller is someone who, like Gallup, those guys are overvalued in terms of what their actual resume was. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't be good or that they won't eventually emerge, but to expect receivers drafted in that range who were later breakout guys at smaller schools to go in and carry an offense immediately is it's not impossible, but that's going to be a a very big chore. You look at someone like Trey Burton, who has been a secondary type of player. You look at Allen Robinson coming off of not playing. The, The one real concern I think is that there was a lot of optimism that Cohen would be involved in a more dynamic way. And we heard these comparisons to Tyreek Hill, you know, forgetting again that, that Hill's, athleticism is still really at a completely different level but the discouraging thing i think if you're a cohen fan or you're a bears fan is that taylor gabriel 
has been the guy that they've tried to actually do a lot of those Tyreek Hill things with, and he's not that player. The, the, the instinct to get these really fast guys involved in a big way is worrisome because they need to be niche players who clear out the play occasionally when they're wide open they have this 50 yard touchdown but they've been really emphasizing gabriel and that's that's weighing down the offense along with all of these uh, carries for howard which again put the offense in a, in a more difficult situation and one of the things that the rams do is that they keep jared goff out of situations that are going to be difficult for him knowing what kind of player he is and with trubisky that's really what the bears have to do more of right now game script flipped against the Bears this past Sunday, and Jordan Howard still commanded 24 carries, and he delivered 61 yards with those carries. So you may have thought you were getting Sean McVay in Matt Nagy. Uh, No. But Kyle Shanahan has shown that he can elevate offenses. But now we get to see what he really is. Can he win with C.J. Beathard? That's the question. And I'll be paying very close attention to the usage Matt Breida, because Matt Breida is another one of these satellite back plus backs who carried a full workload at the college level. He has the explosive athleticism. His receiving skills have improved this year. He's top 20 in catch rate after being last in catch rate among qualified running backs last season. Do you think that Matt Breida will be helped by the switch to Beathard? We'll need to see this week what the, the personnel allotments really are, because one of the big concerns with Breida so far is that he has not been involved as a receiver as much as you would like. He's been a fantastic runner. And I don't think that's a surprise for the reasons you mentioned. <laughs> he was a, a star in college. He's in that 200 pound range where I don't think that you have to worry about them. I would prefer not to see someone like Christian McCaffrey get 28 carries. I prefer, prefer that we get more in that 15. Yeah. Give me 15 Christian McCaffrey carries and in five plus receptions every game. Thank you very much. I'll lock in my RB1 numbers every week. And, and don't spend a lot of time on first down running the people into the line, right? If you're going to switch those carries out, switch those carries out to a Jordan Howard, those carries out to an Alfred Morris. But the concern, I think, is that on a lot of their third down passing plays, they've had the H-back, the fullback in there instead of Brita. And so if he's not on the field, he's not going to be able to make a a big impact in the passing game. Now, if you're talking about first and second down and better than dumping the ball off repeatedly, which is what we saw to an extent last year, then certainly that is exciting for Brita owners because those touches are so much more valuable. I know, right? And say what you want about C.J. Beathard. He fed Carlos Hyde. C.J. Beathard made Carlos Hyde an RB1 in fantasy even on one of the league's most anemic offenses. That's very difficult to do. To buoy a between-the-tackles grinder on a bad offense, it's a special skill, and it seems that C.J. Beathard actually has that one particular skill, although you would like the satellite back to be on a prolific offense. We see that right now with Ido Smith in Atlanta. He's just not commanding the targets, but any given week, you could see Ido Smith getting 8 to 10 targets and emerging as the next Philip Lindsay, right? You can, but one of the things that's been most discouraging about this Atlanta offense uh, in the post-Shanahan era is just that they are not involving the running backs in the passing game nearly as much. And, you know, both Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman, plus receivers, but certainly also plus because the offense created 
you know, it's not just getting the ball, but getting the ball in space. And it's not a matter of saying, oh, well, we're just going to emphasize our running back. Your, your scheme has to accomplish a lot of that with misdirection and with the way that you are using your receivers in other plays. The offense no longer does that, right? So I don't know that you're going to have as much value in the passing game from the running backs in Atlanta as you would like to see. Last week, Tevin Coleman, three targets, Ito Smith, four targets. Seven targets to the running backs is not going to get it done when you have two running backs that are strong receivers in Tevin Coleman and Ito Smith. It's just not enough. Need more. That was in the shootout of the shootouts last week. God damn it. Because Ito Smith is fantastic. He checks the boxes of Matt Breida and Christian McCaffrey and Philip Lindsay and Austin Eckler, the dominant college workhorses who project to be elite satellite backs at the next level. You just need to unlock that player. But I think he's a great buy in Dynasty nonetheless. Now, rapid fire. I'll give you a running back. You just tell me if it's over or not. Is it over for Kenyon Drake? No. Is it over for Jamal Williams? Yes. Oh! Is it over for Rashad Penny this year? This year, yes. Oh my God. Heartbreaking. Is it over for Duke Johnson? No, but I mean, Todd Haley, what the hell? I mean, Baker Mayfield doesn't need the running back. He can throw into tight windows down the field. I don't see why Baker Mayfield would ever target the running back with his deep ball accuracy. Is Peyton Barber over? Did it ever start for Peyton Barber? I don't play Ronald Jones. Come on. Yeah, play Ronald Jones. It's time. I don't even like Ronald Jones, but it's time. Who will be the second most productive rookie running back this season? Is it Karrion Johnson? I think it has to be. And he's another one where, you know, he he has that profile that you're looking for he's interesting because his athleticism doesn't pop to that very top level which is what i'm looking at for for running backs a person who has some characteristic that is truly elite but the combination of size speed agility explosiveness they're all enough above average that when you put it together he looks very dynamic out there the lions could turn this season around if they would just release legarrette blunt that's right yeah every legarrette blunt carry holds that team back he is the ultimate albatross around the neck of a franchise. He's like just this, this weight that they have to drag around with them. He's 240 pounds, and that's not counting his penis. I don't... I. You have to laugh at that, Sean. You have to <laughs> laugh at that joke. You can't... That was a perfect delivery. You have to laugh at that. I, I, I don't know what to make of that. However... LeGarrette Blunt is the answer to the question of how do you decrease your drive success rate? How do you decrease your first down probability? If you had one player in the NFL where you had the only goal was to make sure on second down that your chances of getting a first down had decreased as much as humanly possible, LeGarrette Blunt would be the answer. If you're a Lions fan, it's heartbreaking. It's hard to take NFL teams seriously when they do not seem like they are making any effort to win football games. It's a poison pill player. I do not like poison pill players on my team, and you have one in LeGarrette Blunt, Lions fans, and I am sorry. Now let's talk about tight end for a moment. There is no tight end of consequence in Detroit, and we love that, but we have two second-year tight ends we expected to ascend this season, O.J. Howard and David Njoku. 
first-rounders that checked all the boxes. Only one has been productive. Has O.J. Howard surpassed David Njoku in Dynasty? You just have so many conflicting signals there in that the same reasons that we talked about Evans, Godwin, Jackson being tricky, you know, you're looking at snap counts for O.J. Howard, you know, Cameron Brait scores last night. The volume there is potentially limiting. However, the talent looks fantastic. One of the concerns, I think, for Howard was that his receiving production in college, now there were reasons for it, but his receiving production in college didn't necessarily scream star. It screamed, you know, really this this Alabama product, a little bit like their running backs, where you look at him and you think, if this guy had played somewhere else and right. didn't get to play at Alabama, would they still be a star, right? He had that elite athleticism where you're looking at him and you're thinking, I mean, that's almost a red flag when the production is not there. Oh, it is definitely a red flag. Absolutely. Plus, he's an Alabama player, and all Alabama players are necessarily overrated. But he's he's looked fantastic. He looked good again last night. Njoku, we, we really have to see with Mayfield before we can tell. Uh, the, the Browns came out with the idea, I think, of trying to do one more 0-16 season so they could get one more year of really high picks in every round. And that was the Tyrod Taylor plan. Now that they've kind of been forced into winning football games. That was the Zane Gonzalez plan? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hugh Jackson wanted to know how many consecutive football games. Psst. Hey, Zane, here's what you're going to do. Game's on the line. Do not kick the ball flush. Make sure you take a divot every time the game is on the line. Sorry, go ahead. No, it, it just, I mean, in its own way, it is disappointing, right, that the Browns are not going to be 0-16. At some point, Hugh Jackson would have separated himself from every coach at every level of every sport that has ever existed. And because of the Taylor injury, maybe we don't get that now. Right, yeah. He was trending to a place where he would have been considered the worst coach in the history of sports. And we've been robbed of seeing that. And that is heartbreaking. One more tight end question. Vance McDonald, league winner. The Steelers are going to use the tight end you don't have in the game, right? So if you have Vance McDonald, it's going to be 10 catches for 150 yards for Jesse James and vice versa. So I, I don't know if the Steelers' main goal is to thwart fantasy owners that that person can simultaneously end up winning every league for you. But I do own Vance McDonald. <laughs> Vance McDonald, week two, 45% snap share. Vance McDonald, week three, only a 51% snap share. So I'm not ready to call Vance McDonald the league winner. He did the most with his snaps. He did the most with his targets. Stiff-arming a player into the ground and rumbling for another 40 yards. But yards after the catch is historically not sticky unless your name is Travis Kelsey. So I'd like to see more from Vance McDonald. But I'm excited because he's one of these big tight ends that can play in all game situations. He can block at the goal line. He can play in the slot in the hurry-up offense. You'll love his versatility. you love his talent profile. Dominant player at Rice. Has that great size-adjusted athleticism. So he's the guy to own in Dynasty, not Jesse James. Even though Jesse James is younger, I much prefer Vance McDonald. I've been a Vance McDonald truther for years. And you've been a Tyler Boyd truther. So congratulations on the Tyler Boyd breakout. Give me someone else you qualify for truther status on who's been in the league a couple of years and has yet to break out. I was going through this and, and the beginning here for Boyd, you know, has really lifted the weight. What a great feeling. So, so we're looking very good that 
the guy I really wanted to see this year. And I desperately wanted him to change teams, which didn't happen. And then he gets hurt, which, you know, has been part of the problem all along. But the person I was most excited for, uh, not, not drafting him super early or anything, but most excited for, because this was going to be the season, was Marquise Lee. Now we've got to put that one more year into the future, and it becomes less and less likely that it ever happens. You are a self-described Marquise Lee truther. That takes a lot of courage to come out and admit that, so I appreciate that, Sean. That, that, was, that was great, man. And it's not going to happen. That's what trutherism is. The overuse of the term truther on social media is maddening to me. You're not a truther if you're just a fan of a player more than other fantasy gamers. Just because you like a player more than consensus doesn't mean you're a truther. A truther requires a level of futility. That's what real trutherism is. That's me and Austin Carr, right? Austin Carr needs to go somewhere else or there needs to be an injury. But the problem is he was elevated to the starting lineup in week one and he still did nothing. Now they're going to have to get Traquan Smith more involved, and that just means, and, and, and Cameron Meredith more involved, and that just means less snaps for Austin Carr. It's heartbreaking. That's what real trutherism is. Loving Austin Carr and watching him face plant when g- finally granted an opportunity, that, 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 that's, that's trutherism. Get you out of here on this. A very bold prediction. You've already made some bold predictions, which has been great, by the way. But I need you to go bolder than that. Before the season, there is a lot of discussion about if you can legitimately take Alvin Kamara because his efficiency is unsustainable. With Christian McCaffrey, there is a lot of discussion about if you can take him. And, you know, he fell into the late second, even the third round of some things midsummer and then started to move up. The high stakes drafts I was doing, he was almost always a first round pick, which I thought was was more reflective. But if you can take Christian McCaffrey that early when number one, C.J. Anderson is there. And number two, he didn't run the ball effectively last year. So week before the season, I said, you need to make this trade or you need it in your final drafts. If you've missed out on Alvin Kamara, you need to get McCaffrey, who is going to be similar, maybe better. And both of these guys are this new breed of running back where or the throwback to the greatest fantasy running backs we've ever seen. Yes. Right. Marshall Falk, 2000 right? 30 points a game. I said, I don't think it's likely, but I think that a Marshall Falk 2000 season is within the range of outcomes for Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey, even with what Kamara has done so far. He's slightly off the pace. Yes, I love this. Your bold prediction is incredibly bold out of context, but when you add the context around these players, whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Alvin Kamara, the idea that you can just slap a model on top of them out of context, and insist that they will regress. When we have players in the past that have performed at a high level for the full season in the context of a prolific offense, like what we have in New Orleans, like what we have in Kansas City, you're not allowed to be surprised when Alvin Kamara and Patrick Mahomes never regress. You're not allowed to be surprised when Alvin Kamara and Patrick Mahomes never regress. 
And I've got I've to throw this in really quickly because Blair Andrews has been doing uh, the wrong read for a little over a year now. I think it's the best fantasy article, fantasy column on the internet. Obviously, I'm hugely biased, but Blair is spectacular. One of the many things he talked about this year in the wrong read is that year two is the one year where you actually expect a player's points to jump, right? And in some ways, that's very, very intuitive. But when you look at the prices for certain players and you look at the the rhetoric surrounding other players, when you're looking at breakouts or you're just looking at people who already broke out and then what you expect from someone like a Camara or like a McCaffrey in the second season. Juju Smith-Schuster, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay. You have to look at what these guys did as rookies and understand that within context and then look at what they did before. I mean, Christian McCaffrey the player that he's been going to be threatened by C.J. Anderson. Now, that's always possible, right? And I'm wrong about stuff all of the time, right? But C.J. Anderson being signed there is not something that would worry me because we're talking about Christian McCaffrey. We're talking about a completely different level of player. And so Marshall Falk, 2000, they're not on that pace, but my bold prediction would be that the best is still yet to come for Kamara and McCaffrey this season. And the beauty with McCaffrey is that he plays a style of football that's less susceptible to injury. I wanted Christian McCaffrey for the floor, not the ceiling. And now you're telling me the ceiling is higher than we ever could have imagined. But the floor has always been there for McCaffrey. That's the beauty of it. That if there was a player that you knew you could count on 15 fantasy points a game this year, it was going to be Christian McCaffrey. And I think that's that's a good point. (laughs) Another reason why those 28 touches or those 28 carries, like, let's get back to the Panthers trailing. We need need to have uh, their defense lighten up a little bit so we can make sure we get those, those big games. I... He's very intuitive, Sean. He can get down and get out of bounds and not take the huge hits. You know, people talk about all the time about, oh, this receiver, this this running back is actually the best receiver, or you know, this receiver could be a top running back, or and some of those things are true. I mean, we're talking about the top guys; they really do separate even at the NFL level. But you watch Christian McCaffrey, and he is instantly open on every route. He's not even someone where the play has to work properly for him to get open. So it really is a matter of Cam Newton deciding to use him or not. And so hopefully as as the season progresses, you can't argue with the volume that he's gotten so far. But the, the one frustration last year for people was that he, he would have McCaffrey open for these easy plays, 10, 15 yard plays, and instead would throw it 25 yards down the field, um, you know, 10 yards to the side of his receiver. As long as the two of those guys continue to work together, as long as Cam Newton can find it in himself to hand off on those read options occasionally, and certainly down by the goal line every once in a while would be nice, then, I mean, we're talking about a secondary explosion from from Christian McCaffrey to where he's going to be in that discussion with players like Todd Gurley and, and certainly Alvin Kamara. Shots fired at Bilal Powell and Isaiah Crowell by Sean Siegel on the Roto Underworld Radio program. Is this your argument for why the Colts should be playing Jacoby Brissett? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dagger! Dagger! Oh! You know, a guy like, you know, Chris Hogan in the number one wide receiver chair is that he's not nearly as good as Juju. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the problem when you're drafting a guy just based on opportunity. It helps that he's really good. That's a big deal. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that all these these guys, I mean, so many of them at least, are extremely good. And so people get the idea that the people are are fairly even and that you want to draft on volume. And, and certainly there are things about volume that you need to be aware of. But my feeling is, and I think that the numbers you know, fit with this, is that experts tend to be way over the top in terms of being volume crafters and so you know when you're going against the experts that is definitely your um, spot to be able to beat them i mean draft you draft good players i you were so down on cooper after uh when we had when pat and i had you on the show last year that I'm you were very I mean you were very demonstrative about his conditioning which I thought was probably not the problem I think it might be there's a problem man I don't know what the problem is you know we were grasping at narrative straws but there's a fucking problem bro like it's not even it's not it's this is a this is killing me because I you know took a step back you know the season was over I let my you know, frustrations go, right? Because he had one good game last year, right, against the Chiefs. So I kind of let it go, decompressed, came back, rational, reasonable, fourth round, Mari Cooper, yes, please, thank you very much. No. No, no, no. No, man. I think, you know, your question on the sheet there that... I thought was interesting, and and it, it'll uh, you know depending on what the perspective is, what direction you're coming at it from. But the idea of quarterbacks being irrelevant, and um, from certain fantasy purposes, they may be. Although, uh, as a Mahomes owner, I I like the, the benefit there. Uh, but Derek Carr may be absolutely awful, in which case that's a situation where the quarterback is definitely mattering for Amari Cooper. Yeah, but also he has no time, right? And, and he's going to have even less time this week, okay, without Donald Penn facing that Browns defense. It's going to be it's a complete nightmare. Everything is a nightmare. So, yeah, if my position is that coaches help players marginally, but they can do more damage than good. So they can torpedo a guy, but if a guy's out here performing at a high level, it's not the coach. Okay, the coach maybe helped to put him in a position to, to win more easily, to see some more targets maybe. But Juju's out here being Juju because Juju's Juju. It's not because of the offensive coordinator. It wasn't Todd Haley the year before. But there are situations where a GM and a coach can together conspire, and especially if the GM and the coach are the same person, conspire to really cripple an offense and then hurt the player more than they could ever help them. And I think that's happening in Oakland, where it's just the, the offensive line is one of the worst in the league. There's no creativity with Gruden. He's admitted that. So no favors, right, for Carr and Cooper. But, I mean, this is Cooper's prime, man. He needs to be producing now. In Dynasty, you're banking on the production. And it really is mystifying because, uh, uh, you know, you, you certainly have situations where players go from being elite to maybe just being good or you know you you have those very rare situations like with the Michael Clayton I think uh, where you have an excellent rookie year and then and then you disappear but they're just very very rare and certainly when you have a, a player like Cooper where um, 
you know, the college numbers were extraordinary, obviously very high draft pick, come out immediately two good seasons. Those people just do not fall off the cliff. Two seasons with 130 targets and 70-plus receptions. Like, and he was getting better, right? His efficiency increased the following year. 2017 Amari Cooper, one of the most mysterious years in the history of football for a player. And, and certainly after week three, it's it's hard to feel too comfortable about. No, I almost feel like these three games are worse than 2017 in totality because I feel fine writing off a full season for all kinds of reasons, injury, whatever. But when you start carrying over these games into the following year, the terror is exponential. Well, and they can't get him open. And then also, you know, you watch a Raiders game at this point. It's it's unclear what the value is now. I mean, it's unclear what exactly his strength is or would be or how he would uh, personally elevate the offense, which, you know, certainly from your very top players, that's that's something you're looking for. I mean, he was this deep threat at Alabama who could also win in every area, right? He could t- take, he could shake guys off at the line of scrimmage on screen plays. He could run intermediate routes. He was doing these double moves and getting getting loose deep. That's similar to what we saw from Ridley last week. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was doing that at Alabama, both of them. Uh... Well, you've got you've got a couple of, of guys there who are not in the NFL. So, oh, I I dropped those guys at least. Did you draft Marshawn in leagues? You you, you on Marshawn at all? You must have been zero RB, right? I mean, Marshawn's right in the wheelhouse. Well, I I don't like I just I don't I don't draft old players. <laughs> that was funny. I don't I don't draft old players. I'm in a uh, a dynasty league with other fantasy podcasters. And I'm number one in total points scored without Le'Veon Bell. I traded four fourth rounders for Adrian Peterson. Well, I think that that's probably going to come back to haunt you because Adrian Peterson is a horrible person. (laughs) The fourth rounders rarely come through. Here's the thing. You don't even need a fourth rounder because guys like Philip Lindsay aren't drafted. It's not even a big deal if you don't have your fourth rounders. Guys that you would have drafted in the fourth round may make it to free agency and rookie drafts anyway. My favorite thing in that is the you know, talking about consolidated target share. I have Diggs, Thielen, and Rudolph. You know what else I have in that league? Eckler and Gordon. Yeah, you can play those two guys together. I mean, I, that's what I'm saying, man. It's fun. It's actually it's uh, Eckler, Gordon, and Rivers. I don't have any of the receivers, but Eckler, Gordon, Rivers. You know, because these are just teams you know are going to put up points. Well, if Melvin Gordon gets hurt, Austin Eckler is going to be the number one running back. If anything happens to Melvin Gordon, and hopefully nothing does because he's super cool and et cetera, et cetera. But Austin Eckler, I mean, number one. That dude, he is awesome. With Tyler Boyd, Vance McDonald, like these guys have great profiles, man, and they're just throw-ins. It doesn't even hurt you, so there's no downside to it. But every trade that I did this offseason, I gave like an equivalent player for somebody on the other dude's team and then also had Tyler Boyd coming back. So you just you go find the team that has Tyler Boyd and you offer an exactly equivalent guy for just some random player on their team plus Tyler Boyd. And most of those trades will be accepted. And then you have Tyler Boyd on every roster. You know who else was underappreciated? Keelan Cole. The small school guys without draft capital or the guys like Tyler Boyd that aren't athletic, that don't fire and get discarded. 
I, I'd so much prefer it when those guys break out that I knew I got as throw-ins. And just when you think Blake Bortles is actually going to be not good, but like a like his own version of Jared Goff, then they have a game like last week. You go back and look at Keelan Cole, and it's just crazy because, I mean, he had to have been quadruple teamed every play, and yet he was a 50-plus market share guy. I remember where I was when I first saw the Austin Eckler profile because we didn't have him in the database at first. Yeah, you were telling me about that when we did the show last year. Eckler and Breida, I those two guys everywhere. Hopefully Breida's knee is, is all right. I was so worried he was done for the season. Guy is explosive and awesome. And what am I missing? Oh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> there are so many running back options at this point. Even if Royce Freeman doesn't fire, right, you're going to hit on somebody. You look at where Breida and Eckler were being drafted by comparison, and those guys are similar, if not better, athletes. So, I mean, you're not even losing anything by, by moving down to that level. If I were to say this is a wide running lane, I would want Tevin Coleman. If any running back in the league, I'd want him in there because he just, boom, it's automatically 10 yards. But if the running lane's not there, eh, he's not great in that situation. So that's why I want him to go to Philadelphia next year in free agency. That would be awesome. And, you know, he's a, he's a very undervalued receiver as well. I mean, you, you mentioned the agility. I guess he's one of those guys who isn't going to necessarily stick his head up there and like hit a bunch of guys to get an extra foot, which I can appreciate. I think he does have the ability to cut when he needs to. And you see that in his patterns and, and as a receiver and that kind of thing. But yeah, he's, he's not necessarily going to do the Marshawn Lynch deal where he breaks five tackles and gains an extra six inches. He explodes into the hole, and that's amazing. I love that. And then he he's a good one-cut runner. That dude, <laughs> he's awesome. I'm having a shirt made of Matt Patricia with that, that color treatment uh, and the clown nose of the shirt he wore with Roger Goodell with the nose on it. The Lions are a super weird team. I don't know how you can have... I mean, Matthew Stafford is not one of the top five quarterbacks, but I don't know how you can have Matthew Stafford and decent weapons. And, I mean, people talk about... That offense and wanting to keep the offensive coordinator. So how do you, in, in what possible way do you think they're outperforming their talent when you have, <laughs> when you have Matthew Stafford and it's always, okay, we're down by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and we score a bunch of, of garbage time points. You need to score when the game is in doubt. Welcome to the road. Yeah, it all looks great. I don't, I guess I don't have anything super interesting to say on the under the radar consolidated target distribution deal. A team where actually there's only two guys that are getting any targets, but you don't realize it because maybe they're not the, the guys you might think. You know, it could be Cincinnati or something. The Lions are a super weird team. Uh, geez, uh, yeah, I, I can't believe I uh, missed Tyreek Hill deep there. I uh, can't believe it. It's normally impossible to miss Tyreek Hill deep, but I, uh, you know, I, I, I missed him deep, and I don't know how it happened. I mean, Todd Haley, what the hell? Because they added Matt Nagy. Oh, my God. Ah! Matt Nagy. He's from the Andy Reid coaching tree. Sean? I mean, Todd Haley, what the hell? I mean, regress to what? He has one game on his resume before this year. Regress to league average? No! Regress to 2017 Alex Smith? Blasphemy! When you're surrounded by model breakers, we're not allowed to be surprised when you start to break models. And it really is mystifying. I did do that. I did. I remember. I did that with scrubs. You're right. 
This shit is contagious. You gotta be out there. This shit is contagious, brah. Shit is contagious. Shit is contagious, brah. Shit, Sean, is contagious. Boyd is a big time player. You know, his, his top three comps coming out of college were Antonio Brown, Stefan Diggs, and Randall Cobb. That's the beauty of zero RB. You don't have to hit on all these receivers. I hit on Michael Thomas earlier. So I'm four and two, it doesn't matter. And it really is mystifying. He's 240 pounds and that's not counting his penis. I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't, I. You have to laugh at that, Sean. <laughs> I don't, I. So that takes a lot of courage to come out and admit that. So I appreciate that, Sean. That that was that was great, man. I mean, Todd Haley, what the hell? But then, weirdly, the NFL course corrects, and they do draft like a Chase Edmonds in the fourth round. The Cardinals did it before with John Brown. You thought, no way, John Brown. And they jumped up in the fourth round and got him. Loving Austin Carr and watching him face plant when finally granted an opportunity. That, 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 that's, that's trutherism. And that's not counting his penis. I don't, I...